We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time for another preview of a Knicks upcoming matchup, this time against the surging Cleveland Cavaliers. It's been a while since we played this basketball team. In fact, it was a Halloween back-to-back when we asked questions like, can they handle Mitchell Robinson? Is this the R.J. Barrett leap? We'll quickly find enough minutes. Oh boy, have... Times changed for both teams since then. Uh, you know what we do every time we talk to, well, anytime the Knicks play the Cleveland Cavaliers, and it's we head to the fine folks over at the Chase Down podcast to preview this matchup. And the first leg of this home and home is here, here at Knicks Film School. And joining me to preview this matchup, he's back, ladies and gentlemen, uh, from the Chase Down, one half of the Chase Down, uh, Mr. Justin Rowan. Justin, welcome back, my friend. How have you been? I'm doing well, Andrew. Thank you for having me back. Uh, Rowan Barrett is no longer part of it, but we still got one Rowan in this rivalry. So I, I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's been a weird season. The, the fact that these games between the Cavs and Knicks have been so spaced out. And unfortunately, we're once again for the second year in a row, not going to get a sample of what these teams look like healthy playing against each other in the regular season. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of questions. I think uh, we're still in a spot where these two teams are likely, I don't think last year is going to be the last playoff series we will see between these teams. I think they're going to be around for a while. So uh, we're going to get answers at some point. It's just not going to come on Sunday. No, it's fair to say that it's not going to come on Sunday. Cause I also <laughs> mentioned that the, the Cavs played the Detroit Pistons last night. We're recording this on Saturday afternoon and Donovan Mitchell didn't play. I believe Karis LeVert also didn't play yeah. um, because it's the Pistons, although they've played better recently. Uh, the Cavs were able to still come away with the victory. They're 39 and 20 on the season. I messaged you the day that it was December 14th, the day that it seemed to be a bit of an Armageddon for the Cavs who were struggling at the time. I know both of us were talking about how rough the schedules were to start the the year yeah. and how the Cavs schedule was about to lighten up, but like they, they lost Darius Garland and Evan Mobley to injuries on the same day. <laughs> and like we were, do they hit a nuclear button or do mm-hmm. they, and you were like, you know what, at a certain point, maybe, but they're going to try and get through this next stretch, hopefully with an easier schedule. 
And the run that they've gone on, they're still 39. They I mean, they're 39 and 20 at this point, but they're still up there at all the, the net ratings and the, the, the defense is really good. Mitchell solidified himself as a legitimate superstar in this yeah. league, probably first or second all, all NBA this year if he qualifies for games. And I, I have a thing I, I point to for certain teams, what I call DVD moments. What I mean by that is anytime you get the championship DVD, like I grew up on the Yankee dynasty and going through those, those videos or DVDs when they'd come out, you'd recognize certain points in a season that get highlighted and brought up during the DVD. And like the Max Drew shot the other night is a DVD moment, you know, like that's why I think the, the two Knicks seasons that they've made the playoffs were so like saddening to see them end because they had so many DVD moments throughout the year. And like, I'll ask you because of how they overcame that stretch without uh, Garland, without Mobley to what it's been now, they made it being a two seed. Does this year feel special? Like, like how are the vibes right now in Cleveland? I, I think it feels special in some ways. Other ways, it's been frustrating just because we haven't, and you guys are going through this too, we haven't been healthy for a consistent period of time. So even though it's worked in stretches and you've had kind of the highs that you've had, you know, ultimately in the playoffs, you're going to need to have that chemistry locked down where it's second nature, where, where you're making the reads. And like one of the big things over that stretch was the Cavs prior to that, I think their fourth most used lineup had only played like 38 minutes together and it was mm. 30 games into the season. And over that stretch, their starting lineup got to play together every single game. And they kind of developed that second nature chemistry. They, everything was rolling. So you still want to get on the same page. And we don't know if Donovan Mitchell and Karis LeVert are going to play against the, the Knicks on Sunday. Uh, Isaac Okoro left the, the Detroit game with, with some uh, back issues. So hopefully he's healthy uh, or at least available to play uh, against the Knicks. But you want to kind of get that chemistry in. But I think there's been enough proof of concept this season to make Cavs fans feel good about the moves that they made, the depth that they were able to add in the offseason, because that was such a big talking point. And it does feel special, but I think there's also a learning curve for us as Cavs fans, because over like this century, pretty much, we've either had a rebuilding team or we've had pressures on we're a contender. We have LeBron James. We don't know what to do with a young, improving playoff team that's still like there's a growth curve. Like you take two steps forward. Sometimes you take a step back then you take three. Then you take two steps back. Like that is a new experience. So I think learning how to quantify that and figuring out what is and isn't real, it has been a bit of a test. But I mean, from my perspective, I love it. But I, I think that has led to some of the tension you have this season. And of course, you know, the questions about Donovan Mitchell, the, the, you know, the, the questions about the fit, all of that kind of stuff is also kind of on the periphery. So it, it's definitely been a, a fascinating year to cover. So I'm going to just give you a heads up now. I don't have a question about Donovan Mitchell on this episode, like future Donovan Mitchell questions. I, I'm making this a, a Donovan Mitchell future free podcast. The question about fit actually goes to something I'm curious about. Did seeing how well it worked during that stretch without Garland, where it was like Mitchell all the time, you never had to have him play off ball. Like what was, like, what was your takeaway from that? Was there any hint of like, Oh, this might work better. Or was it just, thank God he was able to do this during this stretch. It wasn't a, 
this can work better because their net rating in their minutes together was still better, like the Garland Mitchell minutes. And that was one mm-hmm. of the encouraging things because early in the season, both Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland were dealing with hamstring injuries. Uh, Darius, I believe in his first game back from the hamstring injury at the start of the season, injured his shooting hand and like was kind of going through that stretch where he wasn't taking any threes and, and trying to, to get to the rim and, and draw fouls and, and kind of supplement that. And then obviously broke his jaw. Um, so that wasn't my takeaway. My takeaway was, and this was one of the issues that I had earlier in the season was every time Darius was off the floor and Mitchell was the solo ball handler, it was more stagnant than it had been in the past. Like they had got away from running their offense. You look at the historical numbers. Anytime Mitchell was on the court without a point guard, those lineups didn't do well. Uh, You look at last year's season and when Garland was on the court, they had the second best offense in the league. When he was off the court, it was the 29th. Like it was dramatic, right? And Mitchell wasn't able to carry those lineups. So for him to improve at age 27, to be good enough to be a primary ball handler, that was one of my main takeaways from that stretch because I think that if this is going to work, you need to have both of those guys being able to run the offense and basically be the only point guards on the roster where you have, you know, the, the wings when you're staggering and you can kind of go small ball at that time and, and throw different looks. You want these guys to be dueling banjos where, you know, either can play on or off the ball. And I think it was a step in the right direction. So to your point, to anybody listening at home, the the stats you're talking about, that the net ratings are the same, whether they're on the court together or with Mitchell on and Garland off, just did the cleaning the glass filter and Mitchell on Garland off plus 10 in those lineups. Mitchell and Garland together plus 9.4. So it's quite literally identical (laughs) in that stretch. So you nailed it in the fact that it doesn't seem to be a vast difference in the minutes or specifically possessions that they have around the court together. The, I, I, I had it looked up, I looked it up yesterday, so I, I forgot exactly what the number was, but I knew it, it was absurd. But their record since December 14th, 26-9. and nine. That's the second best record in the NBA. The only team better is the team with the best record in the NBA, and that's the Boston Celtics, who are 30-7 and seven in that stretch. So literally been the second best team in the NBA since losing two of their key starters. And then, of course, getting them back. Now, they're... Some might say, because I've heard this all year, that they've been taking advantage of bad teams. And when I say I've heard this, it's because that's what the Knicks have been doing this year. in Against teams above 500, excuse me, under 500, uh, the Knicks are 23-2, and two, the Cavs are 25-3. and three. Now, you guys are better against teams uh, over 500 than us, uh, but... I've like I've heard that crit- critique in the past, and I've just been like, you gotta you take advantage who's on your schedule. That's actually a skill to mm-hmm. take care of teams who are under five hundred. I think if the the Bucks had done that with a similar uh, uh, efficiency that the that our teams had, maybe they'd be comfortably in the two seed instead of struggling <laughs> to to catch up to the Cavs this season. Um, where are expectations now? I know we talked about this back in October. But, you know, with everything that's happened this year and look, it's actually pretty cool to hear you say that, like, it's actually fun to have a season where it's not we're tanking or championship. Mm -hmm. But like to a reality with I expect this team to be in the second round this year. I expect this team to have a chance at a conference final. Like where are expectations among Cavs fans right now? 
I think the expectation is still to win around it. And I'm, I'm happy you brought up that record above 500. Cause you know, there is like, when you look at it, there's a lot of context. Like when they played earlier in the season against like Indy without Garland, Allen and Mitchell uh, a, a couple times. And then the mm-hmm. same thing happened with OKC. Like a lot of those are weird. And, the, the thing that's been encouraging to us is like when you filter clean the glass against the top 10 in point differential, uh, the Cavs are fifth in the NBA when it comes to their net rating against, you know, the best teams in the league, their half court and uh, offense and defense improves against better competition. It's actually the middle 10 where they've really struggled. Like they've kind of taken care of business against the worst teams, the middle for whatever reason, they haven't got up for it at the same level, but they've been good against the best teams. So I think when you look at this season, the expectation is absolutely they have to win around. Like, I, I think that's the most important thing. And then from there, I think the most important thing is not getting punked in the second round. Like, I think they have to show that they can hang with any team in the league because if you go out and you, you win around against Orlando or whoever, and then you get outclassed in the second round, that makes you start to question, okay, like, does this fit work? Do, do we have to start considering changes that are a little more than cosmetic? If you have a competitive series where you're, you know, you're playing Milwaukee, you're playing Boston, you're playing the Knicks or whoever, and it goes seven games and, you know, it, the, you, whether you win or lose is really on the margins, that you can start to convince yourself, okay, you, you're going to get another year of internal growth. This was a little bit of a weird season. Evan Mobley's still 22 years old. Uh, Darius just turned 24. Okoro's 23. Like we we can we can improve. We have our mid level exception, a full mid level exception again this summer. You can add another piece. You can even make a consolidation trade. You have your first round pick. You can trade on draft night. Like you can talk yourself into it. So I I think showing that they belong is the most important thing and. You know, if we can get that proof of concept that the, the core works together and it's just about finding the right support players and them uh, growing to to be better when they're on the court together. I, th- I think you can consider that a successful season. So this begs a follow up. What happens if the successful season doesn't happen? What if they lose in the first round? Man, <sighs> is that know. the million dollar question? Like, is it yeah, way like, too early to even consider what that what that is? That is a question for people that get paid a whole lot more than me, because, you know, mm-hmm. it, the question would then become, how did they lose? Like, what what were kind of the leading causes there? Was it something that is a trend beyond what we've seen this season? Like, that that would be the, the real question. Like, I, I think, um, obviously, they, they've done a good job bringing in uh, shooters and, and improving the space and the depth is good. Like, the depth went from an issue one way to... Now we're trying to figure out, okay, who actually makes a nine-man rotation? Can we go 10? I don't think you can go 10 when you have two guys coming off the bench that deserve like 26, 28 minutes in Karis LeVert and Isaac Okoro. Like, you just can't, like, you run out of minutes at some point. So I I think that that would be a a tough, tough question. But for me, like, I feel very confident that at at this point, you know, I think this is the best spot for Donovan Mitchell. I I think he's going to be back on the gas next year. If you ask me, Um, I still believe in the core. Like um, historically, like this year has been weird, but when you look at the overall numbers of the last two years, they've always been better individually and collectively when they're on the court together. So I think it's really just about everybody refining their groove and, and hopefully, you know, they can make the most of these remaining 23 games. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about the Cavs that I've noticed, I'm curious if you have either noticed it and if, if you have, if you're annoyed by it, like I, I see the net rating, I see 
how good they they've been against against like like they just don't lose like that's one thing that we had talked about sometime in January <laughs> that like I just like okay so the Cavs are just not going to lose again that game they lost to the Sixers right before the break actually it actually like the stunning part about it was that I thought they were just going to go into the break on a fourteen game winning streak because I just didn't see another loss in their schedule and like they're the two seed in what was supposed to be a very like concrete Eastern Conference. And like they, they've kept the run going that the Knicks were supposed to have once they got the Ananobi trade. The Knicks have gotten the attention from the, the, the national media and the narrative that like, oh, when they're healthy, this is a conference finals team. Yet the Cavs have performed because that was the thing I kept refreshing. Like anytime I go to the advanced stats page and it's like, oh, since X, this is what the Knicks net rating is. It's great. It's just one right behind the Cavs. So this is their defense since the trade. It's just right behind the Cavs. And yeah. it's like, I need to start taking them more seriously. So my question is like, does the fact that it seems, and this may just be my perspective here, it seems like how they went out in the playoffs to what you just mentioned last year means that, I don't want to say people aren't taking them seriously this year, but there's a hint I, I of... I think well, that's fair to say. Like, but like, it's a hint yeah. of you got to prove it to me this year. Is that a, is, So that's fair to say. Like, Does it bother you that... that Part no, of what they've done this season hasn't been taken seriously. No, like I, I'm going to complain about it a little bit on like Twitter and stuff like that because you know mm-hmm. that's what we do as fans. But like intellectually, no, it doesn't bother me because that's the experience. And like to some extent, it's funny because all of last season, I looked at the the net ratings and all that. I was like, yes, these are like the hallmarks of a contending team. But experience always matters in the playoffs. Like I kept saying, they're going to get embarrassed at some point in the playoffs because that's what happens to young teams. I just thought, you know, maybe it was going to be in the second round. Maybe, maybe mm. the, you know, the, the matchup wasn't going to be as difficult as it ended up being. But like, that's something we all kind of intellectually know. Like, I think it's going to happen to OKC this year, d- despite how good they are. They just don't have playoff experience outside of Shea. So I, I like, I, I get that. And I think it's like common knowledge amongst NBA fans. But then when you see a team in a market, you don't care about losing that way. It's okay. Well, we don't have to really pay attention to them until like they prove otherwise. And, you know, Philly will still get the benefit of the doubt, even if they go out sad in the playoffs, because, you know, you got Joel Embiid, best player matters. It, it's a market that, that people know and, and they trust. But uh, from a cast perspective, like that's what comes with expectations. Like, when you come up short of expectations, people are going to doubt you. When you know, when you got tension and, and you know uh, outside pressures, like trying to to figure out, okay, is this going to break up? Uh, you know, you got fans of teams that want to get Jared Allen, so they're they're rooting for that. You got fans <laughs> of teams that want to get Donovan Mitchell, so they're rooting for that. You got fans of teams now that want Darius Garland, so it's oh, the backcourt doesn't work. Like you know, we got to break that up. Like you're going to deal with that. When you have good players, people are going to cover them. Uh, when you come up short of expectations, people are going to doubt you like that. That's, that's the sports experience. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, that they can prove teams wrong. I think, I think this team is good enough and has an outside chance to make a really deep playoff run. Um, I think Boston's probably the best team in the league. And I hate that because I, you know, it's Boston, it's Boston. Um, but you know, I, I think they would have a puncher's chance even in a series against the Celtics. Like I, I put them and the Knicks in the same type of category that if these teams get healthy and they get hot at the right time, if they get the breaks, like it's I, I before the season, my hope was that they were in the 2015 Warriors space where mm. you have enough to make a run 
if you get the right breaks. And of course, the Warriors played four rounds where the opposing starting point guard got hurt. Kevin Love got hurt. They got the breaks and they went out and won the championship. Um, I don't foresee that happening for the Cavs, but I, I think, you know, from a, a talent standpoint, I think them and the Knicks are in a very, very similar point where if they get the right breaks and if they play well at the right times, they can go on a very deep playoff run. You seem to have that 2015 Warriors run memorized for, from my perspective. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no reason why I would have reasons to slander the Warriors, like just kind yeah, of decks of, of, of slander there. No, no, no. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's funny. I just talked to Sam over at the at Light Years because the Knicks just played the Warriors on Thursday and reflecting on their run. And like I didn't bring up any of the breaks that they've gotten, but it's like that's the footnotes of any dynasty usually do uh, involve some some breaks like that, and yeah. look, th- that's Which why the boss stupid to talk about sports like only one team is made up of winners, and like it's right. a genetic thing of whether you win or lose. No, like luck is is a factor, and especially in today's like three point heavy NBA. Like shooting variance is going to matter a whole hell of a lot. I got to be honest, that's the only thing that would come into play for me with Boston because if they're healthy, like the three point variance is the only thing I, I I personally see stopping them. Like our teams, like I think both teams could end up having great seasons. And like you said, one of us could end up in the conference finals against Boston. If they're healthy, I just like, I don't see a weakness on that team. I, no. it's, it's literally the only team that could beat them is, is them. And if they're just like missing but threes, historically which been, they've done that, right? Like the, the thing about Boston, like yeah. the thing I've enjoyed about the Cavs, even when they got three point heavy throughout this run, which has been the way they've wanted to play all season, they still get good rim pressure, right? Like they mm. consistently play defense. They still get those high quality attempts at the rim. And that kind of supplements when they have these off shooting nights. Like they almost beat Milwaukee, uh, one of the games without Garland and Mitchell or uh, Garland and Mobley, because even though they shot like 11% from three, they were right there because they were still, you know, attacking the basket, getting enough of, of that offense. Austin's great on drives, but they just don't do it a whole lot. Like they don't get that consistent rim pressure. So I, I think they're a little more reliant on variance. But again, like this is me rationalizing and trying to find ways that the Boston Celtics are going to come up short because I don't want to see them hoisting the trophy, but probably the most likely outcome of this season. That would be if I had like an imaginary hundred dollar chip right now, I'd probably put it on Boston, but like it's, I mean, hot take there. I think the team with the best record in the NBA might win the title, (laughs) you know, we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So non-Boston division, let's take Boston out of the equation. Go through like the next three or four teams that scare you the most in a first round matchup to to get away from the uh, the 
the most disappointing outcome of this season, right? So go through it. Like you're the, mm-hmm. you're the two or the three who don't you want to see in the six or the seven? <sighs> who I don't want to see in the six or seven? Yeah. So obviously well, Milwaukee ones, would be out of it. So Philly yeah. is Philly with Embiid. I'm assuming. Yeah. Assuming, you yeah, go. yeah. If there's no Embiid, then I, I don't care. That that would be my number one pick to, to play against. But um, <laughs> yeah, if Philly with Embiid would be really annoying to go through the season and get the two seed and they'd follow the play in like that, that would be an incredibly frustrating outcome of this season. Cavs mm-hmm. have played well against Philly when, when they're healthy. But um, yeah, you, you want to have an easier matchup. After that, this is going yeah, to be a little controversial, especially with the zombie heat starting to play better. But I think it's Indy just because of that three-point variance kind of standpoint. I, I know they're a little different without Buddy, but I feel like Pascal Siakam has the potential to like get Mobley in foul trouble at times, and they can just have a weird shooting series. I just... I, I know this is going to sound stupid, but I, I put Indy ahead of Miami and then it's Miami and then Orlando would be my preferred matchup for sure. So I'm just going to paint this picture here for you. Like there's a world the Knicks dropped to six or seven. So the, the Knicks getting healthy at that time, where does that factor into your rankings? That would be high because I, I have a like I, if the Knicks are healthy, so if we're talking about the playoffs with the blanket assumption, all of these teams are healthy and clicking. Right. I have the Knicks above the Bucks. Like, oh I, wow, okay, yeah, I I believe in you guys a lot. Like, if that's the four or five matchup, Milwaukee and Knicks, which it, for a second it looked like that might be the case it, kind of, for like a yeah. minute. There, I was like, oh, this could get like, fun. Oh, that that would be pretty sweet. I, I'm I'm okay with that. But uh, yeah. no, like uh, I trust the Knicks just a hair more. I. And it's tough for me because so many times, like I think back to 2018 where the Cavs did not have the better team in a lot of those series and the best player just ended up mattering more. And Giannis yeah. is having such a great season. And again, like the, the foul trouble concerns because he's going to halfback dive every single play like that, that, that type of stuff is concerning to me, but I, I, I have the Knicks over Milwaukee, but then the, the bucks are right behind them. Then it's Philly. And then it's, you know, probably on a confidence scale, I should put Miami, but yeah, I'll, I'll put Miami above them, even though it's, I'm contradicting myself from two minutes ago. I'm going, I've gone such back and forth with, with Miami this year because like, they're still the boogeyman for me. They're the Patriots, but I recognize that they're like the Cam Newton Patriots at this point. Like they, I, I should, I'm not, they don't have Brady in my mind. I'll, I guess you could say, Jimmy is Brady in a weird comp that I'm making here, but like I just respect the the jersey and the culture and like Spoke. the zombie heat as you're mentioning. Spoke is really the thing I'm respecting here. That's, and that's the biggest factor. Like for me, the the tough thing is the Cavs have played Miami so well. Like last year, the Cavs struggled in all those matchups against the Knicks, except for the one where they just hit every three and it was okay at the start of the season. They didn't have that issue against Miami. Like mm. Bam is such a big key to their success. And the Cavs have two big men that are like three inches taller than Bam and move just as well as him and are like all defensive type guys. Like they just, that matchup just hasn't really bothered me. They're like their strengths aren't at the Cavs pain points. And that just, it's given me a level of confidence. Like, there's a sick, sick part of me that wants Miami to be the seven seed because 
I know I said getting out of the first round is the most important thing, but I feel like from a narrative and a confidence standpoint, the Cavs beating Miami, even if it's a tougher series than some of those teams, I think that would change perception a little bit more than if they went out and beat Orlando and then had a tough series against Boston or New York in the second round that they lost. Like, I think getting that feather in the cap would mean a lot. It's, it's literally what the Bucks did a couple of years ago when they won their title is they, they knocked off the defending East champs and then that set them up for this matchup in the second round against the Nets that turned out to be one of the, the better seven game series that we've seen. Um, I think the, I, I actually want to clarify this for the Knicks film school audience that, cause I've just, I've talked way too much about the heat on these pods of when <laughs> I've had this conversation. It's not so much that I'm afraid of them, like that the Knicks can't beat them and I'd be afraid of them more than I would Milwaukee or Boston. It's like, it's more to like a risk averse tendency that I have that it's like if they lose like if obviously I think the Knicks would have a easier time against the Heat than they would against the Bucks but like it would be an honor to lose to Giannis and be like you know what best player in the series won like even if if the Sixers were to you know what best best player in the series won if they lost to the Cavs you know what they've been great all year they're the better team they lose to the Heat I have to live with the fact that they lost to the Heat again and that's the 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 let psychological me, and the emotional standpoint that I don't want to get to. Let me ask you this, because we played this game on the chase down at during okay. the all-star break where we were talking about the top teams in the East and what our biggest fear against all of them was. And this was my answer for the Knicks. And I want to know if it's your same answer for a Miami matchup. My biggest concern against the Knicks is the Cavs themselves that they would get away from their style of play and try to prove themselves a little too much because of how last year went, like getting outside of what they're doing offensively, like trying to put the team on their shoulders, like trying to muck up the game to prove that, you know, we're more physical than we were last year. And like just getting away from their identity because of the the history there. Is that what you would feel against Miami? To an extent, I'm assuming in a series against the Heat, the Knicks are healthy that we're, we're saying here yeah. because that means the Knicks got back up to three and the Heat got up to six, right? Or maybe this is the four or five, but like Ananobi's back, Randall's back, even Mitchell Robinson might be back. Hartenstein's playing something close to what he was for a large stretch of this season. The healthy version of the Knicks, I, I got to be honest, the only fear I have against the Miami Heat is that they'll go full heat culture and two to three Knicks <laughs> might get injured in that series. Um, but That's how I feel when we play Toronto. So I, I feel you. So you get it. Like there's just a, there's a thing that went look, Julius Randall's ankle injury last year happened against the heat. And then in the playoffs down goes Emmanuel quickly injured goes RJ Barrett injured goes Mitchell Robinson. What happens this year? Dislocated shoulder by Julius Randall against Jaime Hawkins jr. Yep. So there's, there's a hint of like the better team should win. And I think that's the ceiling that the Ananobi version of this team took us to that. Even the, the, the heat nonsense, the heat boogeyman doesn't matter. Yeah. But, you know, I think the biggest fear I would have in a series like that, I, I can't believe I'm taking it to this small, a, a margin, but like, I think Spo just has the coaching advantage over Tibbs in a, a significant way. Cause he's willing to try certain things mm. that Tibbs isn't willing to like, uh, Tibbs, I, it was begging for this to be a Hartenstein series last year against the Heat, and 
like he just like kept going to Mitch and Spo just neutralized the offensive rebound impact that anytime you got an offensive rebound, all right, we're fouling you immediately and putting you at the line. You're going to crash three on the boards. All right, we're leaking out the other way in transition. So every time we, we Kevin Love gets an offensive rebound, he knows Jimmy's leaking out for, for two points. Um, you're going to play Jalen Brunson 48 minutes. Great. Gabe Vincent's full court pressing him on the inbounds pass. And those little margins, I think, is where like I'd give give the Knicks an advantage, give the, the Heat the advantage. Now, talent wise, like Randall also didn't show up last year. And Randall also was playing with an ankle injury. So yep. like that has to that I think was a bigger margin that they lost, you know, um, but I, that, that sounds that the Heat. It's a, it's very much an emotional and a psychological worry. Basketball wise, there's matchup worries that I have against the Cavs and the 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 Bucks and potentially the Celtics too. You know, yeah. So I think yeah, those sure. are the bigger worries I have there. Um, I will say, as we pivot into this matchup, um, specifically on Sunday night. So who's playing for the Cavs on in this game? So was, you had messaged me that Mitchell might not play. I thought that he was taking a night off against the Pistons, and then. You enlightened me that it could be a, a more serious quad injury. So your best I, guess. I, I don't know how serious it is, but the Cavs have taken a like it's not based on anything. It's just based on how they've approached injuries this season. Where like mm-hmm. Jared, like one of my biggest concerns coming into this season was when Jared Allen missed preseason the first few games of the year with uh like a foot issue, right? Like a bone issue in his foot. I was like, that's the type of thing that can linger all season. Then he gets shut down for surgery. And the way that they managed it of really like being cautious, bringing him back minute restriction for like the first like two months of the season for him, like they really managed that well. And he hasn't shown any ill effects. And, you know, he's having the best season of his career. And Isaac Okoro had that with his knee and they've managed that very cautiously. And and he's been good. Um, So I just wouldn't be surprised uh, with Mitchell dealing with the knee issue that Hey, like you haven't looked the same since the all-star break physically. Like you're not really getting to the rim. You're you're settling for threes. Like let's be cautious. This is an important matchup against the Knicks, but this isn't the matchup that's going to tell us anything. Like the Knicks have been so hurt that they're not themselves either. We probably still have enough uh, to be competitive and and go out and win this game. Um, Even though, you know, it's going to be harder without Mitchell. So it wouldn't surprise me if both he and and Levert missed, but I, I assume they're going to be game time decisions. Here's Levert's dealing with a, elbow injury to his shooting arm and then Isaac Okoro we, we just don't know uh, his back tightened up maybe they were just playing it safe because it, it was Detroit uh, he took a hard fall in the first quarter and, and played for a while after that but uh, then they shut him down so uh, hopefully Okoro can play because that's I mean that's that's tough if you're down Mitchell and Lavert already in the backcourt and then losing Okoro um, you're just you're running out of bodies and you'd be going very heavy with Sam Merrill and uh, Craig Porter Jr. Sam Merrill on the corners this year is shooting 55% from three. He's ridiculous. Like he's <laughs> where'd you find that, this guy? <laughs> uh, that release is so fast. Like, and it's funny because we, we touched on it earlier where Carter and I were advocating going down from a 10 man rotation to a nine. And like, I think in an ideal world, you'd want Sam Merrill to be part of that because he's such a prolific shooter, but the glut of their talent is in the backcourt, right? Like, Darius Garland, Donna Mitchell are going to get a ton of time, right? Like they're occupying all of those point guard minutes and a lot of the shooting guard minutes. Karis LeVert's probably like 
probably like a top five candidate for six man of the year. He's been great. Isaac Okoro, if they cared about defense, would be a top five candidate for six man of the year. But, you know, he's shooting 40% from three. He's a lockdown defender and he's improving as a passer and rebounder. Like he's been terrific this season. So you have all of those guys that you'd have to take one of them off of the court to get Merrill on. And that just gets tough because, um, there's just more of an opportunity for Dean Wade and George Niang to get those backup four minutes. And, you know, as some Cavs fans will advocate for, okay, we'll just cut Niang from the rotation and uh, put Merrill in. It changes the floor balance a little bit. And you also have to factor in that Niang has among the most playoff experience out of anyone on this team. And as we found out last year, just because something works in the regular season doesn't mean it's going to translate to the playoffs. So having that guy with that toughness, with the playoff experience, that matters. He was a guy that was personally recruited for Donovan Mitchell. Cleveland's not a market that gets free agents typically. So if you get a free agent signing and then you just bench him in year one of the contract, that becomes tough. So I think there's like a political aspect to that. There's a basketball reason in terms of experience. So, um, you know, the, the plus side is Sam Merrill stays ready and he, he's helpful, but man, it, it's been, it's the opposite issue of last year where you go into the playoffs and all right, what are our options coming in off the bench? Isaac Okoro, who's missed a month straight and was questionable uh, with the injury uh, had, you know, hadn't played in, in forever. Dean Wade couldn't lift his shooting arm above his shoulder because he had torn his shoulder uh, and Danny green coming off like a, a shattered leg. Like, you just didn't have the depth. So this year we are running into the the questions that you were just talking about with Tibbs, where now JB has a ton of levers to pull and we haven't seen him in that situation. So what's that going to look like in a playoff context? Yeah. The, 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 the thing I always thought about with the Cavs, I mean, we, we did the pod last year where it was, we were talking with, um, with, with Carter about like where you rank everybody. And I was like, I think the Knicks, like the Cavs may have four of the best six or seven players in the series. But after you get to four, I think the Knicks have eight of the best 11 or eight of the best 13 or whatever it would, whatever the breakdown came to. Because after the fourth guy, I saw such a drop off. And when, like we talked about this in the pregame shows before the year, when we, when I was on with you, that like the Struess, the Niang, the different places yeah. they can go to. And then you throw a Merrill into the mix. Like I didn't even mention Dean Wade, uh, Nick's film school favorite. Thanks to Fred <laughs> Cass, uh, that he's shooting 43% from the corners and 40% overall this season that you just so have so many other options to, that you yeah. have to honor. And I think, you know, it's funny. I, I know we were going to talk about this matchup. I think it just makes so much more sense to talk about like a potential playoff matchup. For yeah, the yeah, because teams. like we, we could break you know? down like the 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 hospital version of these teams. How will McBride do against the Cavs on Sunday? You know? Yeah, I yeah. think all the interesting talking points when you go Cavs Knicks is in the macro, right? Because yeah. like I said at, at the start of the podcast, I think these teams are going to be around for a long time. Like the how that looks has changed because I, I really did like the young guys that you had. Like I was like, there's a lot of that upward mobility. I, maybe you trade a couple of them. I was surprised at like trading away Grimes for Boyan. Uh, but at the same time, like I kind of get it because this year had been weird for Grimes. But like when you've moved on from so much of that young core that I liked, it changes the calculus, but you still have mm -hmm. all of those assets to, to go out and bring in another star. So it's, a more kind of conventional approach from what I'm used to uh, from Knicks, but he's like, OG's still young enough. Like he's still got upside. Like 
you have to deal with him missing 30 games a year because that's just kind of been what it's been with OG. But when he's healthy, he's going to make a big difference for you. So I do think the Knicks are going to be around for a long time. I think the Cavs are going to be around for a long time. So all the interesting topics are always macro to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, to the Knicks fan that probably got offended by me saying Deuce McBride's name, because he's actually been outstanding lately. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's the Alec Burks of it all. That's that, may not factor into a series upcoming. Has Burks um, been bad? I, I like Oh my Alec gosh. I, so fan favorite. We loved Alec Burks when he was here. Uh, there's this weird dichotomy with Burks where he's a Tibbs favorite. So like year one, he would just come off the bench and it was like an Alec Burks heat check every night. Like if yeah. is this the game he's going to score 28 off the bench? Great. Well, he's going to, he's going to close in the fourth quarter. Um, and then the second year, because Kemba was so bad, Tibbs went to Alec Burks at point for the yeah. majority of the season when Emmanuel quickly was right there. And I think there's a PTSD with Knicks fans that's like, oh, like he's going to okay. rely on Alec Burks more than he should because he he decided that Emmanuel quickly wasn't ready to be the point guard of the team. And our thought was like, whether he's ready or not, the season's going nowhere. Let's find out. And that just that move was never made. And then this year, I will say his minutes have started to go down and down recently. He only played 11 minutes against the Warriors on Thursday. But Tibbs also made this comment after the game, like, oh, I probably should have played him more. Like, Look at his net rating. And, his pop- and we just like, Tibbs, he's a minus 40 since coming here. What are you talking about? <laughs> he's shooting like 28%. And like from talking to some people in the know, it's like, yeah, he's trying to support one of his favorite veteran players. Like, he loves Alec Burke. So I think there's mm-hmm. a fear there. But my gosh, has he been bad since coming to the really? I think he's a, he's a bit miscast. I think they brought him here to be a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, to be an initiator at times in the second unit. Because the initiating like, to me, like that's why I like the pickup from the Knicks. Like, I, mm-hmm. I thought it was really, really important for them to get that because they lost so much initiation. Yeah. Like, even though R.J. Barrett was inconsistent, he was someone that can generate rim pressure. He could get to the line. Like he was able to to put the ball on the floor a little bit and you guys kind of lost that uh it, like with him quickly and all those guys kind of going out it's okay there's a big burden on Brunson and DiVincenzo who's been terrific yeah. so adding Alec Burks as that third guy that can initiate i thought was really really important because for all of OG's strengths, he can't put the ball on the floor. Like his isolation numbers and his shot creation is not great. So you're going to need to generate that in other ways. And the Knicks were such an ISO heavy team last year that like it changed kind of the, the floor balance questions that I had about them. So I thought Burks's initiation really was going to help because you got now three guys that can put the ball on the floor and a lot of intelligent players. Like OG's going to make the right place. Boyan's going to make the right place. So Randall, I, I think has been a little underrated the, the last two years in, in terms of how good he's been. And then you got smart passing uh, Isaiah Hartenstein too, right? Like, so I, I thought you you had enough with that. So I'm really interested to see if he finds his footing. Cause I do think Alec Burks is actually going to be important for you guys in a playoff context. I gotta be honest. I think it might go the other direction if he keeps playing like this. And I do think they're going to wait until the full, the full roster is back before making any type of decisions. Like they're going to see what he looks like next to Randall with OG making up for some of his defensive uh, mishaps, you know, just he's a bit of a traffic cone at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, They're going to give it a chance when you see him next to next to Randall and just provides the spacing that a guy like him and a guy like bogey were brought here to do. Um, 
I am increasingly becoming more intrigued by what Deuce McBride has been since the Emmanuel quickly RJ Barrett trade. He's not a point that can run your offense, but he's just a basketball player that you can play next to Jalen Brunson. I think that was part of the calculation in the Quentin Grimes trade, to be honest, that what Deuce has been like, he can match the level of defender to an extent that Quentin Grimes was. I think Grimes is better, especially at the point of attack um, and it with, with some screen navigation, but like what, what Deuce had been this year just seemed to be like good enough that you could justify using Grimes as an asset to potentially raise your ceiling from a veteran standpoint. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm at the point with Burks where it's like, uh, eventually you're going to have to give us an out Burks game because you're the, you're the scapegoat at the moment. You're the punching bag amongst Knicks fans. And Cavs look, I Alec Burks Cavs legend. Yeah. He's, he's a lot of legends and a lot of places for, <laughs> for Alec Burks. I, I, if um, I'm not mistaken, he hit a game winner in his first shot with the Cavs. So that was always fun. really awesome. Oh, yeah, so. Sounds exactly like the Alec Burks experience. He was here very shortly, but we have a memory of him when he was here. Do you have any other Nick's thoughts or questions? It's funny how I remember the first time we 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 talked this year, it was very much like I'm curious about the upward trajectory that could potentially exist in an RJ and a quickly, like what this team yeah. could become. And I was like, listen, that may be what this season is. And you know, the uh, somewhere around December, like the end of December, they were like, All right, we've we've plateaued with this. Something needs to be done. And obviously they made a move. You know, what was your your reaction to that move and and the the shift that the Knicks made then? My reaction was, holy crap, a Cavs-Knicks series might look very different than it did last year. Mm-hmm. And not from a, oh, like like a fearful of the Knicks. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful here because I think no, go ahead. listening understands that I, I think the Knicks are third best team in the East. Mm-hmm. I think just how a series would look is going to be a lot different because the Knicks, as good as Robinson is, as good as Hernstein is, as good as OG is defensively, there's a lot of guys that you can kind of pick on a little bit. And the complexion, like the Cavs are all of a sudden this high volume three-point shooting team. Like since Garland and Mobley came back in the games where the core four is all playing, I, I know people are like, oh, like they haven't played the same since they got back. No, in the first 10 games before the All-Star break, they got better offensively and defensively, and they took 39 threes a game. They're taking 39 threes a game when all four of those guys are playing, which I think is, you know, the important thing. Cavs are a high-volume team, and the Knicks, like, I think the Boyan addition is going to really help when you're healthy, unstick the offense at times, because sometimes, you know, it would get bogged down. I think the Knicks became a much more dynamic offensive team. So it's not going to be a rock fight like it was like, I, I think there's still going to be aspects of that because these are still like a Tibbs team and a JP Bickerstaff team. Like defense is going to come into the equation and there's going to be physicality and whatnot. But I just think like we might get a lot of really high scoring games between these teams in a playoff series, or at least by the standards of the playoffs. Cause we, we know scoring is going to go down in the postseason. Um, but yeah, it, I just think it's a much, much more interesting matchup. I, I was curious about, okay, who's Boyan going to be playing with? Like, who, like, is he going to be playing a lot of power forward? Is he taking Randall off the court or is he playing mm-hmm. at small forward and OG's playing at shooting guard? Like, there, there's so many different ways that this can go. And, um, like, the, the funny thing is, even though I really want to beat you guys, like, I really <laughs> do. I don't have hatred for the Knicks. Like I, I have, mm. I have respect for the Knicks. 
I want to beat you guys. Uh, I want to, you know, like change the narratives and whatnot. But it's not like Boston or or the Warriors or where just like I can't stand what you guys got going on. Like I, I want both teams to be at their best, and I want to see what it ends up looking like because I think it's almost like an iron sharpens iron thing where like the the little arms race between these teams and the matchups we we have in the future. I, I really think it's going to make both teams better in the long run. I think that's mutual, but and this is just the, the temp check I get from Knicks fans that last year's playoff series is still so very fresh, which is what I alluded to with the like, are people taking the Cavs seriously enough yeah. that it's like, well, we're afraid of the Celtics. Like oh, those, the the Bucks will have the best player in the series, but of course we'll beat the Cavs because we beat them last year, yeah. not factoring in like a year later could things could go differently, you know? So I think there's some of that with Knicks yeah, fans. I don't have Cavs any, fans like would do the same thing. Like, even if yeah. it was different, like I, I think, that's normal, right? Like we're going to need to prove it. Like that is what it is. It's a totally different team. Um, There was a whole lot of things going on that year. Um, But at the end of the day, like I I still think you want to prove like from a Cavs standpoint, I I actually thought the Bulls game was really, really important because the Cavs got out rebounded by just an insane margin. And some of it remind me of the Knicks series where the Bulls misses were just so bad that it got like these wild Mm -hmm. rebounds and stuff like that. And the PTSD just came out from all the Cavs fans. It's oh my God, like is this going to happen again? Are we going to get punked on the glass? And um, went through it where I looked at how the Cavs have gone against top 10 offensive rebounding teams. Cavs are, you know, going into that game, they were seventh in defensive rebound percentage. Uh, So I was like, are you just kind of doing that against the best or the worst rebounding teams? And that's helping your numbers. They've done great against the the best offensive rebounding teams in the league. Like the Knicks only rebounded like 1% higher than their season average. And Jared Allen wasn't playing in either of those games. But I was sitting there and I was like, this is an important reminder that you can still get punked. Like, I, I think people, it's kind of like black and white in their mind when really it's going to come down to execution. Just like in the first couple of games after the All-Star break, the Cavs only took like 23s and the, all automatically the questions were, is this because Gar- Mobley and Allen are on the court? Is it Garland and Mitchell? Is it blah, blah, blah? No, it's just about having confidence and executing. The Cavs, when they're locked in and everybody's committed to rebounding, you're going to go out there and they've been great this year. They're 11th in contested rebound percentage. Their, their defensive rebounding numbers are great. Mobley's gone from 88th percentile to 93rd percentile on the defensive glass. He just had a 22, 17 and seven game last night. Like he's in, averaging career best in every single category. Like he, he's, he's making progress, but that doesn't mean you can't go back to old habits. That doesn't mean you can't, when things get tight, stop running the offense and playing hero ball. That doesn't mean you can't get beat up on the glass and have poor point of attack defense. Like it's going to come down to execution. So I thought it was a really important reminder that no matter how much progress you make, you can fall back in those bad habits. So it'll be really interesting to see how that translates over these next couple months and obviously in the postseason. So as we wrap up, I first want to tell people who aren't aware of what the rebound number was on Wednesday night last week when the or earlier this week when they played the Bulls, uh, it was 74 to 39 was the final <laughs> rebounding number, which was wow. jarring to us. That that was wow. a double overtime game. So I, I will I'll say that that it took it took two extra periods to get to that point. But um, yeah, that's the 
I mean, these are the things that the regular season is for to have moments like this. So you recognize, oh, this can happen. And, yeah. And, and, you know, you like know. it's third and four, or I think uh, fifth and seven or whatever, where they travel between every single one of those games. Oh, yeah. You're a little tired. Andre Drummond starting at power forward for some reason. Like it's there was understandable reasons, but that's what it's going to come down to. Right. Like when you're tired, are you still doing the right things? And e- even at the end of that game. Obviously, you know, Donovan Mitchell playing hurt, which we didn't realize at the time was a factor. I just thought it was the illness. Um, but the offense stagnated down in the clutch. And I was like, yeah. hey, like, you got to make sure when you're tired, you're still getting that movement. You're still like catching the ball with advantage and not attacking a set defense. And I think they've done a good job of that this year compared to last year. Like their tempo is so much higher. Uh, they actually play faster when Mobley and Allen are on the court. Like, their fastest lineups are that starting five. And I think that's an understanding of JB Bickerstaff of, Hey, like if we get out and run with this group, it's going to help make sure that like the offense doesn't get too muddy and stuff like that. Like, I I think that's a really kind of smart thing. And even the game against the Kings where we were sitting there the whole game and we're like, man, this Kings offense is amazing. This is unbelievable. Like they're, they're hitting absolutely everything. The Cavs were up 15, 16, the entire game. We're like, we must be doing something good offensively too. But I think, in the past, the Cavs would have got to the fourth quarter, seen that they're up 15 and just slow the ball down. Like, OK, this Kings offense is awesome. Let's, you know, let's really milk the clock, use it to our advantage. And they still played with tempo. They're like, OK, we we don't care. We're still going to play our game. And I think that's going to be the biggest question for me is do the Cavs play their game or do they get away from it when the pressure is on? Well, if only we could get a, a good playoff preview for this game on Sunday night. Uh, unfortunately, we'll have to settle for whatever version of the Knicks show up and whatever version of the Cavs shows up uh, to see what both teams have learned in since, since it's been so long, Justin. We were talking about this team on Halloween. <laughs> so that's the last time we, we discussed these basketball teams. Um, last thing before you get out of here, I usually ask like a Mount Rushmore or top five. Um, big enough sample size. Give me your, your top four MVP. Well, okay. The fourth probably actually give me your top five because the fifth one I think is the one that has the most variance. So your top five MVP candidates. I I think right now I'm giving Jokic the nod. Um, he would be number one. Giannis, I'll have number two, even though the Bucks haven't been that good. Like he's just having such a great season that, that I have Giannis right there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm Canadian as hell, so I'm gonna go Shea as third. Um, shout out to him. He's having a terrific season. Uh fourth. Tatum, I, I think Tatum's got a little bit of a bad rap. Um, at times, you know, the numbers are down, but I, I think he Boston's just been so good. I, I still value winning. Like I, I wouldn't have had Scotty Barnes in the all-star game. Like I think winning mm. should matter in this kind of stuff. And then man, like I, I think Mitchell deserves more credit than he's got uh this year for how good the Cavs have been. Like you got to credit somebody <laughs> for this. Yeah, you know? yeah. And like his defense has been go- so good. His playmaking has been so good. Um, I still think I'd give the nod to Luca just because Luke is having a ridiculous season. But I, I got to give a shout out to Donovan. I, I think he absolutely should be in the conversation for top five. Um, at the very least, uh, I think all first team all NBA should, should be uh, a serious consideration because He's just been out of his mind, like his commitment to the defensive end. Like one of the biggest questions people always have is how's the defense going to hold up with Garland Mitchell? I'm like, well, you know, they did have the best defense in the regular season. They had the best defense in the playoffs and they have a 108 D rating with both of them on the court. Like Mm -hmm. that's not a question to me because 
Garland will play solid defense for his size. Mitchell is now committing to, to being a better defender. So um, I, I think his growth as a passer and, and the consistency of his defense this year um, really deserve credit because he, he's he's having the best season of his career once again. I think those are the six. Like those that, that those are in contention for with obviously Embiid not in the in the mix anymore because the game's yeah. missed. Are you? Is there any worry that Mitchell? I mean, he's at twelve missed games now, so he can only miss six. I'll be five more the rest of the years. Any worry that he might not qualify for for all NBA with the new with the new rules? <sighs> a little bit. Um, there's a very real chance that like the only awards candidates for the Cavs that are going to be eligible are like cares for six men a year, which I mm-hmm. think he'll be in the running, but he won't win. Jared Allen, all defense. I, I think he might have a chance there because um, you're going to need to give it to someone from the Cavs. And as I said, he's having the best year of his career and JB for coach of the year. Like, I, I think that's really mm-hmm. what it's going to come down to. So um, yeah, th- like there's some concern, but ultimately like, He's not going to win MVP, so I, I don't worry about that. All defense would be very disappointing. I, I mean, all, I hope, all NBA. You mean the yeah, for like, all NBA for Mitchell, yeah, missing yeah. an all NBA team would would be disappointing for sure. So, uh, I mean, I hope he's eligible because I want this team to get enough games healthy together that they're like ready for the playoffs. <laughs> right, um, but, right. Man, it's amazing. You, you mentioned it before we started recording how the season feels like seven or eight different seasons, like. Garland and Mobley missed 14 games and there's 23 left. Like there's still so mm-hmm. much damn season left. I think the Cavs have a stretch where they play 17 games in a row without playing in the same city twice. Like, Oh wow. Yeah. Like that's basically oh, wow. from March 15th until the end of the year. They, the, the first time they play in the same city is a back to back in LA. And, and that's basically how it ends. So that's going to be a, a really, really challenging stretch for them. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But uh, I, I think having the two seed to, to try to contend for uh, is important because it, it gives you that regular season goal and a little different than last year where they kind of locked up where they were in the seating. They, they lost the ability to catch Philly and then, you know, you kind of coast for two weeks and then you have a week and a half off before the first round. And then all of a sudden you're, you're locked in a rock fight with the Knicks. I, I think having something to compete for down the stretch will do this team some good. So just to give Knicks fans who are unaware the context. So the Cavs play five of the next six at home. Then from March 13th, they're in new Orleans from new, from that game until April 10th, which there'll be three games left at that point. They don't play back to back games at home. Or like you said, in the same city or even the same state for that matter. So even like sometimes you make a road trip to California and you're playing like the Clippers and then two nights later, the Lakers. No, they're like Denver, Utah, Phoenix. Oh, no, they do do that road trip on back to back days. But yeah, still, like that's the, the only end. time. It's the end. That's the, the end of it. So it's the Laker, the Laker Clipper back to back April 6th and 7th. But it's all road games up until that stretch. So. Knicks fans, if you had any illusions or maybe we'll say aspirations of catching the Cavs, that's the stretch. Now, I know this is a frustration of yours that the Knicks just like only played home games in January and parts yeah. of February. Yeah, you're like one road game was Brooklyn. I was ready to throw things. That was that was fun. And then we went to Charlotte for the other road game and it was like, oh, it's that, that's 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 MSG Carolina. Like that's technically going to be a home game too, you know? Yeah. So Well, I mean, we, we caught a break. So like some of this is like how many games the, the Cavs play in such a short period of time is because of the Paris trip, which was an advantage in one sense because they played one game in a week 
at a time where Garland and Mobley were missing six weeks. So that helped mm-hmm. reduce the number that they missed. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is the downside, I, I think, to some extent. It helped that the team you played was also very much in mail it in mode for the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah. Shout out little brother across the borough in, uh, in Brooklyn. I don't know why. Like I had so much aggression directed towards the Brooklyn Nets coming into this year, like in, in our preview podcast, like I would just get so annoyed that everyone was like writing them in to be like the six or seven seed. I'm like, oh, yeah. why they were not good after the McHale trade. Like that was not a playoff team that was just in the playoffs because of who they used to be. Like I, I exactly. got so annoyed and, and I'm very, very vindicated this season for how yeah. bad the Nets we, we technically, I think there's a, a portion of Knicks fans that feel the need to be easy on Mikhail because he went to middle Villanova and like all his I, best I friends, love Mikhail, all his best friends play one. for the Knicks. Yeah. So that's, that's the narrative that gets, gets pushed back on him. That it's like, all right, you're a good stats, bad team guy at the moment. Now we'll see like when you're, but we know he's like a functional, like if you're talking, if you could pick like one wing to throw onto like any team, it's Mikhail, right? Like it's, it, it is, but like as a wing, not as like the the, the second dude. guy or the, exactly. Like I think if he's your best player, honestly, that we could talk about this when I'm on the chase down. But like the RJ conversation, like he's been outstanding since going to Toronto. They're nine and eighteen since he went yeah. to Toronto. So while they're focusing on just putting him into position in positions to succeed, like winning, be damned. Like the Knicks were like, we're prioritizing this. You need to learn how to be a good floor spacer since that's yeah. not his role. You and know, it's so funny because like going back to the Mitchell conversation, I, like this probably shows you how confident I feel about Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell in Cleveland that I'm the one bringing it up a bunch of times. But like the Knicks moved all of their like young players that are interesting. Like I don't think the package would ever be like OG and a bunch of firsts, right? Like the, the Cavs mm-hmm. are going if they got forced into that situation, the players are going to matter more than the picks and like a bunch of like firsts that might not convert and stuff like that. Like I think the Knicks is just pretty clear. They kind of moved on and went a different direction. Like even if they consolidate for a star, I think it would be a different direction. And then the heat, you know, moved on, moved one of their only two first round picks to, to go get Rozier. Like, I don't think they make that move if they're confident that, Oh, Mitchell's going to be on the market. And then Brooklyn's the only one that gets brought up. And I feel like that's this, Disrespectful to Donovan because everything you hear is his number one priority is winning. Mm. I don't think he cares about like being in a New York zip code for 41 games a year because the other 41 you're on a road. Um, I don't think he cares about that more than winning. Like I, I think ultimately how much upside there is with the Cavs, how the fit goes, like how competitive they are, they are. Like that's the standard being held to. And frankly, that should be the standard with any NBA team. Like if we're a very good player that, that can be, you know, a, a major piece on a championship winning team, that should be the standard that you're continuing to improve. And like, for me, that's always what I focus on. I don't care about missteps. I don't care about failures. I don't care about, you know, making mistakes as long as on the macro I'm seeing growth and improvement. And I think what I've seen from the Cavs this season is a ton of improvement. Like Isaac Okoro has made a leap. Uh, Evan Mobley has improved. Jared Allen's improved. Donovan Mitchell's improved. Darius is showing signs of getting back to himself. He's hit 15 of 26 threes in the last two games. (laughs) So just him shooting at that volume again, is really nice to see. So uh, if he can get back to himself uh, by the playoffs and, what we want to see is him get back to himself 
and then take that step forward uh, uh, and even improve as an off-ball player and be that high-volume three-point shooter because I think you saw in the one game that the Cavs won in the playoffs when Darius is confident pulling from three, it changes the geometry of the floor yeah. and the Cavs are a much, much better team. So uh, excited for him to, to hopefully get back to himself because I think that's that's the one biggest question for the rest of the year is I, I still think he's the guy that, that can level up this team uh, more than anybody else, at least for this season. Interesting. Well, if these two teams are ever healthy, again, they don't play each other again the rest of the year, right? So this is actually going to be a tiebreaker game. I just realized that. Yep. Um, well, I, I know how I feel going into this game. I, I'm pretty sure I know how you feel going into this game as well. Um, we'll see what happens the rest of the season. Uh, before we get out of here, Justin, because you've been great with your time, please let the fine folks at home know where they can find you, the chase down, and any potential guests you might have coming up on the show in the future. Yeah, we got an idiot coming on the show on Monday. That's going to suck. Um, we go Proud live. to be that idiot, baby. <laughs> yeah, we go live on the Cats YouTube channel. You probably don't want to tune in. Uh, we'll be going live <laughs> 830 Eastern. Uh, really happy to have you back on, on the podcast. Uh, from an audio standpoint, you can find the podcast wherever you found this podcast. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Kaz. And I don't really tweet as much as I used to. I just don't get joy or anything out of it. Twitter um, sucks? Yes, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, <laughs> it doesn't even drive traffic. Like uh, I'm starting yeah. to be like, okay, where, where are the returns? Where are the returns for my emotional pain here? I'll be totally honest with you, Justin. The only reason I use Twitter is like correspondence at this point because like DMs. that's where I send the links, DMs. That's, that's we have a book. Nick's Film School that's faculty not. chat that I hang out in and that like that's it. Like that's, at the moment. that's what it's, I use it for. Like it's book. Exactly. It's, it's straight up podcast booking. Like that, that that's where I have like 90% mm-hmm. of my contact. So um yeah, that's that's basically its only utility. But you, you can find me there. I'm I'm a good hang. You, if you if you're sending me a, a thoughtful question or whatever, I'll probably send you a response. I swear, if if everybody in Nick's film school had an iPhone, we would have made it a KFS like group chat but <laughs> because not everybody does it's like I would it actually is easier to use Twitter so shout out to the one person in X film school who has an Android hi XJ um, hey, Android thank- man myself oh another one no. <laughs> oh, it's 2024 why do you guys mm. We'll talk about this off the air. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Justin, for joining me for another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. And thank you to everybody for tuning in to another edition. If you dig the show, please like the video. Remember to subscribe. If you're listening, leave a five-star rating and a review. I will be back on Tuesday morning with a preview show of the Knicks game against the Atlanta Hawks. But until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Enjoy the game tonight. And I'll speak with you soon. Peace. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.